I invite you to get out your Bibles and open up to Psalm 119. A couple of years ago, I actually preached a different section from Psalm 119. There's actually 22 sections in Psalm 119, each of eight verses, because Psalm 119 is an acrostic poem with each section uh, one representing one uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, starting with the letter uh, Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 in total. And so I was thinking about it just this past week, and I thought, why don't I make it a 20-year project to actually preach through every section uh, of this psalm, because it's so rich. It's got so much goodness, particularly about the Word of God. Well, when you think about the Bible, what do you think? What do you think about spending time in it? You know, I spent two years living in Indonesia, and in Indonesia it's a predominantly Muslim country, and people will have the Quran, and because it's so precious to them, they'll put it in the highest place in the home. And it's meant to be symbolic to say that this word for these people is held in the highest place of all in their home. Well, how much more for us? How much more? And so this morning, I really wanted to to pause and just for us to reorient ourselves again. It's so easy to forget with the busyness and with holidays and things, to reposition ourselves once more around this, God's word to us, this life-shaping word, this joy-filled word. So let's begin right at the very beginning of Psalm 119. We're going to look at the first eight verses. Why don't you read with me and then I'll pray. Psalm 119 verse 1. Blessed, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before your throne as a people that are in need of grace. Lord, we're so often distracted, distracted by so many things. And yet we know that in your word, we have your very words, your words of life. And so I just pray, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me this morning to open up your word that we might begin this year fresh, repositioning ourselves at your feet? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, one of my favorite movies um, of all time is a movie from the year 2007, which is like, what, nine years ago now? Is that crazy? Uh, Into the Wild. Into the Wild, it's based on the true story of a guy called Christopher McCandless in the 1990s. This guy was a, a young, uh, successful guy. He was successful both academically and in sport and living in middle class uh, in the U.S., and he decides to escape the trappings of the modern world in search of real life. He wants to find himself and find real life, and he wants to do it in the wilderness of Alaska. So what he does is he gives away all his life savings, and he hitchhikes to Alaska, and the story unfolds as he meets all these people who shape his life along the way on his way. It's really, it's, it's, a, it's a story about self-discovery and, and a journey of self-discovery, about self-fulfillment, a journey about finding purpose. Well, as Christians, I put it to us this morning that we're also on a journey. But unlike Chris McCandless, a journey is not pioneered by us. As Christians, our journey is not about self-discovery. Primarily, it's not one which we either must trek alone. As Christians, we walk along a path, a path which our God illuminates for us, a path in which not only the path or way we take, but the way we walk really matters, and a path that is illuminated for us by this. By his word. Well, this morning, the message I've entitled, Walk by His Word. And really, I've just got two points for us this morning, but one take home, which I've already kind of alluded to this morning, and that is that this year, we would give our whole being to walking by his word. That this year, we would just, we would just give everything that we have to really walking this year with his word as our guide. So why don't I begin with my first point this morning, which is a joyful path. Something that I think this verse or these verses will show us this morning is that there is an exceptionally joyful path to be found in walking according to God's word. And we see this right at the very beginning of Psalm 119. Why don't you read with me verse 1. The psalmist writes this, he says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, blessed. That word in Hebrew means supremely happy, supremely happy. The person whose path is supremely happy, the person who walks blamelessly, free from blemish, the person who works with honesty or walks with honesty, full of integrity. Supremely happy is the person who walks this way, says the psalmist. But what does it mean? Well, he gives it to us just beneath in the second half of the verse. He says, who walk in the law of the Lord. That word law actually is the word in Hebrew, Torah. And it means actually more than just the law, as in like the Ten Commandments or rules or something like that. It actually is probably better translated as instruction. The person who walks in the Lord's instruction, in his teaching. You see, the key to happiness, the key to blessedness, the key to an 
abiding joy in life is walking according to God's teaching, according to God's ways. The question I want us to think about, though, this morning is, do we honestly believe that? You see, here in Sydney, I I think everyone believes that there are things that bring happiness. There are things that bring blessedness. And the story is probably something a bit like this. It's blessed are those who have a great career. Blessed are those whose kids are successful. Blessed are those who own their own home. Blessed are the mortgage-free. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are you when you have a hot partner. Blessed are you when you're fit and good-looking, when you can enjoy long trips overseas. Blessed are you when your super is set and you can retire up the coast on the beach. Blessed are you. You know, I've even been thinking about this more recently, I think particularly since I've been married and this, this idea of just like owning your own home. I mean, and you start thinking about, okay, strategies about how you might be able to get enough money together to, to get, you know, is it through investment and yeah, then picturing it, you know, that house that I could have with the backyard. You know, I have this little herb garden on my balcony which is kind of like my like, little pottering around space sort of thing. But I think, oh, you know, imagine a whole backyard, you know, being up the coast and staying on this beautiful property and on 10 acres. Like, what a temptation. Think, and you just start picturing yourself. And, oh, imagining myself, you know, out there with a nice, you know, glass of Cab Sav, you know, sitting on the deck. And I think, then I'll be blessed. But I'm saying something very different. True blessedness comes from none of these things. True happiness, true blessedness comes from walking according to this. Walking in this word. And actually it makes sense when you consider who God is. We've been talking about it this morning. He is the creator of the universe. You know, one of the things out at this property we were staying at in, in Valor, which is just outside Nambucca in the mid-north coast, is at night it's just pitch black. And one of the nights, Charlotte and I, we just walked out and we just looked at the stars and I never realized it's like a blanket. Like there's so many stars in the sky that it, like, it surrounds us like a blanket. And you just, you're just overwhelmed by the beauty and the majesty of this universe that we live in. Just intricate millions and billions of stars and and we worship the God who made it all of everything. Everything down to the tiny ants and insects, to the grains of sand, to the oceans, to the nations, to the stars, to the galaxy, to the universe and to us. He made it all. The sustainer of everything. I just want to just just pause for a moment. Take a breath. You took that breath because he sustained you to take it. Our God is the sovereign Lord over everything. He made everything that it is and he made it good and he purposed it to glorify himself. And he commands us to live, not just because he's some like cranky old man, some just random instructions from an egotist or control freak. It's like, yeah, dance for me. You know, I want you to do this and this and this. That's, that's, that's not the God we worship. Our maker shows us how to live in, in the world he's made. And he says, walk this way and you will be blessed. Walk this way for this is the way you were made to walk. 
Walk this way and you'll be truly happy. Not guarantee you'll be wealthy, not guarantee you'll be healthy, not that you won't suffer, it's a broken world, but despite even suffering, walk this way and you'll be blessed. You will experience true happiness. But he goes on, true happiness is found in following his instructions. So he goes on, he says in verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his way. You know, one of the things we miss uh, in reading it in English, not the original language, you see an exclamation right at the end of verse 3. And in the Hebrew, actually, that's right at the front. And it's a word that means something like this, like, yes! And so he really says, yes, they did no wrong, but they have walked in his ways. You see, the psalmist sees that faithful living is cause for a celebration, it's something to be excited about. When we see people changing their old ways and, and living God's way, you know, we should party. We should celebrate. Well, why? Well, firstly, because that person's going to be blessed. That person is going to be happy. That person's going to reap good fruit. But secondly, God will be glorified. And more than that, thirdly, it's a sign that God is at work in that person's life. Paul writes in Romans 8.1, he says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has what has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. God has set us free from living for ourselves as people following Jesus to walk a different way, to walk according to His Spirit, to have this Spirit-filled, God-filled walk, this new walk that we now have. But this walk, it's not just about outward appearances. It's not just about ticking boxes. God, we'll soon see, wants more than that. Read with me again verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Blessed are those who keep his precepts, his legal provisions. How? With all their heart. They seek him with everything. You see, heart in, the word heart in Hebrew thinking, it's not as we might think about it. It's not you know, you're my heart, you know, you're my, my feelings or anything like that. It's actually something different. It's more than just your feelings. Your heart is the inner you. Your heart is the you when no one is looking. Your heart is the things you say, the things you believe about yourself and about others on the inside. That's your heart. You see, what the psalmist is saying is simply following the path, it's not enough. The way you walk matters. God wants all of you to be following this. You know, you might be sitting here and you're a religious person. You know, you come to church, obviously. Um, you, you pray, you give money, maybe you even tithe, you volunteer for charity, you follow this Bible. But the psalmist is asking you a question. He's saying, what about the inner you? What about the hidden you? Does your heart beat for God? 
You know, it's one thing to follow God with our outward actions, but it's another thing to love him with our inner self, with our inner being. You know, imagine walking down a path, but walking and moaning and complaining and reluctantly. You know, we were watching uh, Better Homes and Gardens and they have like the Dr. Harry on Harry's practice and he fixes pets with problems. You know the thing? And there was this dog on the, on the program, just uh, we were watching it the other night, and um, the dog would never walk when it was on a lead and you would pull the dog and it would, like, its legs would like, be dragged along because this dog just didn't want to walk it you know, whatsoever. And you can imagine someone dragging you know, someone reluctantly like that dog along a path. You know, that's not what God is after. You can be walking along the path. You can be following this word, but it's just for appearances. Your heart's not in it. You see, Jesus is interested in all of you. Read what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 17, verse 7. Up on the screen, you should see it. Jesus says, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Later, Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding, Peter? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, the inner being? And this defiles a person. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery, sexual immorality, thefts, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. You see, God is not interested in just superficial following of the word. He wants all of you. It's not just about turning up every, every Sunday it's, or attending a group or tithing or a quiet time every morning, a prayer list. It's about all of you. You know, we can't trick him. We can't trick him. We can't just do a few things and keep him happy. He's with us. He's he's inside of our heads. He he knows our thoughts. He knows everything. I just wanted to pause at this point just, just, just to remember what this word is that we have. I think it's so easy to forget. You know, sometimes we can treat this word just like a collection of old stories. You know, like a kid's book or, or this stale, kind of musty, you know, collection of ancient laws or, or just something that's just so absolutely over-familiar. You know, I've heard it all before. But in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes, he says, he says, it's God's breath. All of Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's God's very words to us, to you. It's, it's your maker addressing you. You know, guys, so many people live their lives wishing they could hear from God. Just, just longing to hear from Him. But the truth of the matter is we can. We can. I think about the privilege. Think about the privilege to sit and, and meet with your maker. 
to know his thoughts. And Lord, forgive me for the way in which I just fail in this so often. We, we can come to know our Lord Jesus on just this deeper, more intimate level in and through this word. And yet we, we so easily forget. It's 5 a.m. and you're up for work again and, and you're knackered. And you think to yourself, where will I turn to for strength? The news app? And you look at the word and you think, nah, to be honest, like later. Maybe later on in the day. But, but, but in that moment, we could, we could sit with our maker. Sunday morning and, and the kids have been ratty all week. And you think to yourself, will I come to church? And then the thought crosses your mind, you know what, I, I think I need a rest. But where do we get our strength from? Where do we find strength? We can come and meet with our maker and his people and we can find blessing, we can find happiness, we can, we can find true joy. You know, a new job opportunity comes up and, and you know that it will pull you away from church and, and family. And you know Ephesians 5 that as a, as a husband you're called to lay down your life for your wife and you're called to love and serve his body, the church. But you think to yourself, you know what? It's only for a season. It's only for a season and she'll be right. I'll make up for it later. You know, we have this great opportunity to experience true joy in faithfully walking with the Lord according to his word. And so the psalmist says in verse 4, he says this, he says, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. God, God has commanded that this be followed closely, to be kept diligently. Why? Because he wants us to walk closely with him. He wants us to know him and his thoughts and enjoy him and, and to be blessed by him. And the only way we can come to enjoy this blessing is by keeping close this word. By walking closely with this word. You know, we have this amazing opportunity, friends, to just fill our minds with God's thoughts, to, to know and enjoy him. And we can only do this by spending time in his word. But if we're honest, you know, if we're really honest, the truth is, you know, we have many failings in this. Um, I mean, we don't walk according to his word. We, we struggle to even spend time in his word. Even when we do spend time, we find ourselves struggling to do so with joy. You know, this year, if I'm honest, has been a real, really hard year for me in terms of spending time with the Lord in his word. I've just wrestled with it all year and, and just found myself in a mixed up regime and, and fighting for joy and spending time with him and and if you're like me and you're struggling to walk according to this word, I mean, how do we respond? What do we do in, in the midst of our struggle? Well, that's where we come to our second point, which is not just a joyful walk, but a faithful prayer. The psalm takes a turn and moves away from statements about God and those who walk with him and turns into this personal, this beautiful prayer. And, you know, it's reminded me afresh over the past couple of weeks, actually, 
about the power of prayer. I've been reading this book by Paul E. Miller. I just finished it recently called A Praying Life. And one of the things that Paul talks about is just this amazing relationship that we enjoy as Christians and the opportunity to just come before our Father in heaven and just be real with him and just lay our lives down before his feet and to see him work powerfully in and through our prayers. And so the psalmist, seeing this, he pauses to, to give us a prayer. And the first thing he prays for is endurance. You see, if you struggle to be faithful uh, to this word, you know, you have a friend in this psalmist. You, You might not think a person who God used to write his word would struggle. You know, someone who God anointed to write his very own words down would struggle. But read with me verse five. He says this, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast. In keeping your statutes. You see the cry of his heart? He longs to be faithful. It means that he's not. He's failing to keep, to keep it. He's making mistakes. He's not steadfast, but his heart is crying out for it. That's what I love about you know, God's word. It's these real people meeting with God with real life struggles. If you're anything like me, and you know what, that is the cry of your heart. You just long to be faithful. Make it your prayer that God would make you steadfast. You see, it's so easy about this time of year to have many New Year's resolutions, isn't it? You know, and a common one as Christians is a new Bible reading plan. And you've discovered the ultimate Bible reading plan. And you're going to read through the entire Bible 16 times this year. And you are confident And the first two days, you are smashing it. And you're thinking, oh, this is fantastic. I knew I was onto something. The ultimate extreme Bible reading plan. Yes, I'm going to do it. But day three, you have given up. It is over. You are falling ridiculously behind. You see, the temptation is for fads and for short-lived change. Busyness strikes, we fail and we turn to other priorities. But this psalmist, he prays that God will make him steadfast. God would make him unshaken. God would make him enduring. It's kind of like uh, there's two, some, I think they're crazy, guys in this church, um, Andrew Layson and Chris Page, who have a hobby, a passion, a thing that uh, is called ultra-marathon running. And these guys, I don't know how they do it, they run uh, like over 80 Ks, is that right, Andrew? Something up to like 200 kilometers, something like that. And I can, it's crazy, I can, I can, guarantee you, if you turn up to one of their races, what you're not going to be seeing is them getting ready to start and then flying, sprinting as fast as they possibly can to start off one of these races. You know, because it's not a sprint. It's all about pace, endurance, keeping a slow and steady pace right up until the end. It's kind of like the thing I like about it is kind of a picture of Christian faith, isn't it? Great men and women of the faith spending years and years and years like ultra-marathon runners of devotion to this word. Well, if you're struggling to spend time in the word, make it your prayer. Lord, make my way steadfast in keeping your word. May I be unmovable. May I start with a pace that I can keep and to spend time in your word. But secondly, he doesn't just pray that. He also prays to stay focused on the word. Read with me verse 6. He says, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. You know, one of the fruits of being 
faithful to following in the word is that, is that you won't be put to shame. It's th- that picture of things that have been done privately being exposed later on. Like when a parent finds the magazine that their son's been looking at. Or when you send a text to the person that the text is about. And then you suddenly realize, oh no, I am so ashamed. It's a picture though in this psalm of God exposing you in the end. God revealing everything that's been hidden. You see, unfaithfulness will catch up with you in the end. Because there's coming a day when it will be exposed. But rather than being ashamed, he says, no, I want to have my eyes fixed on all your commandments. He wants to be constantly thinking about God's word. Constantly thinking about it. I mean, it's so easy to forget, isn't it? I'm just thinking about work and, you know, in the morning, you know, you may or may not have spent time with the, with the Lord, but then you step into the office and you do your day at work and you leave home and, you, and leave for home and you think, did I even think about Christ at all today? I was just thinking about uh, more recently my last day at work, which was at Christmas Eve. And to be honest, you know, as the day is getting on, I'm not, I'm not thinking about how I can love and serve other people. I'm thinking about getting out of here for, for Christmas Eve. Suddenly all my focus is not about God's placement of me there to love and serve other people. It's suddenly just about getting home and getting it done. I mean, we're so easily distracted. Think about social media, whether it be Facebook or Insta, Twitter, Twit, or uh, LinkedIn or Pinterest or TV, you know, just watching TV or the news, you know, so many things. Big Bash League, you know, I love that stuff. And it's just so easy to be just distracted and suddenly God disappears. Well, if you're easily distracted, join the psalmist in helping and asking God to help you keep your eyes focused on him, to have his word always before you. But he doesn't just stop there. He also prays to worship as he learns. Read with me verse 7. He says, I will praise you with an upright heart when or as I learn your righteous rules. I will praise you with an upright heart, with an honest heart. And when I learn your rules, this is the cry of a heart, not what he's achieved. This is, this, is his, this is his prayer, this is his cry. I will praise you with an honest heart, an upright heart, when I learn your rules. But notice one thing that happens, or one thing that we see in this, is that worship and knowledge of God, they're linked in tightly together. They're so tightly linked. You see, you can't worship without knowing. You need to know who God is and know how he desires to be worshipped in, in order to worship him. One thing I always think about that reminds me uh, on this topic is when I was living in Indonesia, one of the things when the sun was going down, you'd just sit out on the back veranda and you'd just hear the first of the mosques chime up with the adzan, the the, the, the Muslim prayer that they do. And then suddenly all these voices, because uh, Aceh is such a, such a religious place, would be just overwhelmingly going, just a deafening cry of people crying out to God, but falling on deaf ears because they do not know him. They do not know him. 
The reverse is true as well. Knowledge is waste without worship. You can be a Bible scholar. You can know so many things about God, but you can have a heart that's cold to Jesus that doesn't even believe in the Christ. Worship and knowledge belong together. But the truth is that true knowledge of his word leads to worship. He says, I will praise you with an honest heart. It's not just about the show, it's what's on the inside. He's saying, when I learn this, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. You see, we can treat learning the word as a chore, as something we kind of have to do. But it's an opportunity, guys, to worship. I'll just give you an illustration for me. You know, I was, I've shared before that this year I've been, struggling, I've been fighting to be in this word. And um, just... Uh, one day before work, uh, at the back end of the year, and, um, and I was like, oh, I know I, I need to spend time in the Word. I, I need this, Lord. I need this strength to, to face this state. But my heart was like just not in it. And, and, and I thought, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. And so I opened up um, to continue my Bible reading, and I was up to Mark chapter 8. I just read those verses in Mark 8, 34 to, to 38, where Jesus is saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. And, and I'm just reading this and just suddenly, like, like my eyes are just opened up to, to the Lord. And I'm just thinking, oh yeah, that's right. He, he, he gave his life up for me. He, he lost his life for my sake, and, and that's, right. that's what this is all about. I'm being called in this moment to, to follow in after him and to, to lose my life, to, to live for him, and that's what this is all about. That's why I'm here, to earn money, yes, but to, to worship him, to lose my life, to love and serve these people that they might know him and follow him as well, and suddenly my, my heart is just like worshiping the Lord, and I'm filled with this joy in, in knowing him, and, and that's what this is about. We have the words of God himself. And as we learn it, as we give ourselves to knowing it, it will lead to worship. It will lead to joy. So if you're finding yourself difficult, uh, finding difficulty in spending time in the word, why don't you make it your prayer that God would make it worship for you as you learn it? Well, lastly, and finally, he prays that God would not forsake him. God would not believe him. Read verse 8. He says, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Friends, this is where our experience dovetails with that of the psalmist. See, the psalmist had no guarantee that failure would be met with mercy. That failure to keep this word for him held the possibility of having blessing removed of being shamed before Yahweh. Yet those who trust in Jesus have a firm hope that this man did not. You see, Jesus, when he was on the cross, would quote a psalm, Psalm 22, verse 1, that used the exact same word as this psalm uses, as this psalmist uses. Jesus, as he's on the cross, would cry out, My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? See, God who made us and for whom we should live, and yet we have not lived for him. And our ways are not blameless. 
We have failed to walk in his teaching. We've not kept his testimonies. We've not sought him with our whole heart. But we have done wrong. And we do deserve to be utterly forsaken by him. And yet he sent his son. He sent his son who was forsaken for us. Who was on that cross enduring agony, though he was perfect, though he was our maker, the one who spun the stars in the sky, the one through whom all things were made, God the Son himself. And in that moment, God pours out all of his anger, all of his wrath for all of our wrongdoing, for all of our rebellion against God, that God might be just in forgiving us, that God might be just in letting us off for all our wrongs. More than that, that we might enjoy a relationship with him. And as he cries out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There he stands being forsaken for us, for you, that you might know him, that you might enjoy him and enjoy just this rich relationship that's, that's there to be enjoyed with God. You know, you might be sitting here, you're not usually a Bible-believing person. More than that, you're, you're someone who who doesn't know God. You've got some sense of God, that there's a God out there, but you, but you don't know who he is. You have an opportunity. You have such an opportunity. An opportunity to know him. Know him in and through his son, Jesus. Because when he died on that cross, he made it possible for a relationship between God and you that you could know the maker, your maker. You could meet him. A maker who reveals himself to us in and through this word simply by putting your trust in Christ for all he's done for you. We see those who do know him can rest assured As you give yourself to walking by this word, he will always be with you. He will never forsake you. Well, in closing, a joyful path is is to be found in walking according to his word. And so our psalmist gives us a faithful prayer. A prayer for endurance, a prayer to stay focused, a prayer to worship as he learns. Friends, this year would we give our whole being to walking by his word. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we want to thank you for your word and what a treasure it is that you, our maker and creator, would speak to us, would teach us, would give us your words to know how to live and enjoy you and, 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 and to be set free, to, to live in your world in the way that you have made for us, Lord. What a joy, what a privilege, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, would you strengthen us Would you help us to be a people that live grounded upon your word? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.